Thank you so much for joining us for today's podcast. We'll get started in just a moment. If this is your first time here, please consider subscribing so that you may stay up to date with the latest podcast. And if our podcast brings value to your life, please consider sharing it with family and friends. Thanks for listening. And now here's today's podcast. Thanks for joining us for the Covenant Living Broadcast with Pastor John Butler of Covenant Life Church, located at 130 Atlantic Avenue in Bremen, Georgia. Why don't you grab your Bibles with me? Turn to Matthew 18. Matthew chapter 18. From the New Living Translation, it says this. About that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, listen to this question. Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Who's the greatest? Well, they, what they mean is which of us is the greatest? Jesus called a little child to him and he put the child among them, among the question askers. And he said, I'll tell you the truth. Unless you turn from your sins and become like children, you'll never get into the kingdom of heaven. And then he said, so anyone who becomes as humble as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of of heaven. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. I thank you for the principles of the kingdom that you laid out for us, and I thank you that you've, that you've preserved those principles down through the ages uh, so that we can know them and practice them. I pray that you help us today to have the wisdom to hear and the courage to do what it is that you uh, have told us about in your word. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, listen, you might be a little surprised to learn that the term childlike faith doesn't actually appear in the Bible. I know we've sung about it and we've preached about it and we've talked about it to the point that it feels like it's in the Bible, but the term childlike faith is actually not in there. The concept is, but the term isn't. The passage that we just read in Matthew 18 is where that idea comes from, but it's not exactly what Jesus said. I think it's important that we find out exactly what Jesus said. Uh, not just about this, but about everything. And, and, and although childlike faith is a perfectly wonderful term, do we really understand how Jesus defines it? And, and do we understand it to the point that we can not only know it, but we can put it into practice? That's the, that's the, big, that's the big question here. Thank you, sir. So I want you to notice that it was the disciples... It was Jesus' disciples who came to him asking about the kingdom. And listen, he was three and a half years into his ministry. He's only a few weeks away from crucifixion, and they still don't get it. They're still hyper-focused on Jesus setting up his earthly kingdom right here on earth. And that will happen. Jesus will rule and reign on this earth for a thousand years before there's a little season and then he begins his eternal reign. That's still on God's calendar, but that's not why Jesus came 2,000 years ago and they thought it was. He was here then to establish his spiritual kingdom, not the physical one. But they were trying to figure out who was the greatest among themselves so that they would know who would get the positions of honor, who would get the positions of authority, who would get the most status, maybe most importantly, who would get the most, the most wealth, who would be in charge of whom is what they wanted to know. Jesus completely turned the conversation on its ear when he brought a little child in their midst. 
Children were not given very much consideration in, in those days. Definitely were more to be seen and not heard. They had no status whatsoever. Most of the time they ignored them if they could. As a matter of fact, the, the disciples would shoo them away from Jesus every, every time they showed up. And until Jesus said, leave them, leave them kids alone, right? So they, they, they just, that was how much or how little they thought of children. Jesus brings them into the conversation, and in doing so, he resets the premise of what they're talking about. Jesus said, unless you repent and become like little children, you won't even get into the kingdom. Man. That, that had to sting. Jesus was saying to them, you're trying to figure out what your rank and your position is going to be in, in helping me rule my kingdom. I'm telling you, you better make sure you even get into the kingdom in the first place. <laughs> it's a stern rebuke. Let's look at what Jesus actually said. He said you have to repent and become like a child. We've certainly heard about repentance, right? That's, that's been the cornerstone, the recurring theme of Jesus' ministry. Even the, the forerunner of Jesus, John the Baptist. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That's, that's what he preached. It, it's, it's more, though, than, than just asking forgiveness. Repentance is about turning from your life of sin and committing yourself to thinking and acting and living differently. It's not just, God, I'm sorry. It's a wholehearted about face. It's I was headed in this direction, and now because of my encounter with Jesus, my understanding of Jesus, now I'm headed back in a completely different direction. But Jesus, so Jesus said you have to repent, but he doesn't stop at repentance. He says, unless you repent and become like little children, you won't even make it into the kingdom, much less help me rule and reign. So like children or childlike. That's where that idea of childlike faith comes from. But what specifically is it about a child that holds the key to the kingdom of heaven? It's important to note that Jesus didn't say we should become childish. Okay? Child, not, not childish. He's not calling us to be simplistic or to be shallow. He's not calling us to be scared of everything or to be selfish. All of those things can be, can be associated with children who are being childish. Jesus is calling us to be childlike. And just to make sure that he removed all the question marks, the next verse tells us exactly which aspect of, of being childlike he wanted to emphasize. Jesus said, you want to be able to rank yourselves in this coming kingdom? If you want to impress me enough to promote you in my kingdom, what I really want to see is humility. What I want to see is humility. You, your place in my kingdom will not be determined by your abilities, by your birthright, by your status, by your education, by your military or strategic prowess, by your political savvy, by your worldly wisdom, by your physical attractiveness. He said those who rank highest in the kingdom that I'm building are going to look more like kids than conquerors. If you become as humble as a little child, Jesus said, you'll be the greatest in the kingdom. You know what Jesus is telling them? Basically, he's saying the very fact that you're asking me this question is telling me that you're not ready. 
You're not ready. Humility. Listen, I'm not, trying to, I'm not trying to sell this as the secret sauce. I'm not telling you that I've dug up some 3,000-year-old principle that nobody's ever heard of. This is not the hidden or mysterious thing. It's been right here in black and white, or in this case, red and white, for 2,000 years. It's not a secret. It's just we don't like to talk about it. Because humility is no fun. So we don't talk about it in the American church. I'm just saying, if humility is the measuring stick that Jesus uses for the kingdom of heaven, we might need to try to figure out what he's talking about and and what that looks like when we're getting it right in our lives. Okay. So today we're going to start a brand new series called Humility, the Key to Childlike Faith. Humility, the Key to Childlike Faith. True childlike faith the kind of faith that pleases God, the kind of faith, faith that Jesus is looking for, is built in humility. So over the next few weeks, I want us to explore some questions. Among those questions, things like this. What, what does humility have to do with faith in the first place? What does humility have to do with the favor of God? What, what if humility doesn't come easily to me? What if pride comes much more natural than humility. What is, what is that about? Like, what, what's being hindered in my spiritual life because of my lack of humility? And then maybe, maybe one of the more important questions, how can I generate or establish humility in my life and kill the pride? Amen. How do I get rid of that? So we're going to explore all those things um, because pride sneaks in in our, in our lives in ways that sometimes we don't see. Um, and so today we're going we're to look at the connection between faith and humility in this first message called humble faith. Okay, humble faith. Who is the greatest in the kingdom? That was the question that they asked. But what does that even mean in a kingdom uh, in which Jesus is the king? What does it mean to be the greatest in the kingdom of Jesus? Well, I think at, at its minimum, it's usefulness in the kingdom, in the work of the kingdom, because he's called us to the harvest. I think it has to do with intimacy w- with the king, because he wants to know us and wants us to know him. I think it has to do with effectiveness in service. He doesn't just want us to do stuff. He wants it, he wants it done well for his honor and glory. He wants to give us power to to do the work of the kingdom. He, I think it, it means manifesting the character and nature of Jesus because he wants us to be like him. So that means humility is the key that drives your effectiveness in the kingdom of God. It's not just training. It's not just education. It's not just giftedness. It's not just anointing. Humility. Humility clears the way for intimacy with God. Humility helps you develop the character and the nature of Christ in your life. So the more powerful you want to be in the kingdom of God, the more humble you need to become. And I say become because humble is not just what you do, it's who you are. Humility has to drill down past activity down into the core of your being. It, because you can, you can do the humble thing 
for the wrong reason. Right? You can do what you think is going to look humble out of selfish ambition. And everybody, every one of us knows, maybe not about ourselves, but about everybody else, that looking humble and being humble are not the same thing. So let's start at the beginning. Because I'm a genius, right? Let's, let's start at the beginning. If you're going to be in the kingdom and you're going to be useful to the king, you should probably understand the kingdom and the king. So let's go back there and let's figure out if Jesus is the king, like what's he thinking? How does he live his life? What's the foundation of of our life on earth if we're going to follow the king? Philippians chapter 2 and verse 5, this is the way Paul described it. He said, you must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. So if Jesus is the king, and he had a, a particular mindset or a particular attitude, we should probably have the same mindset of the king. So what is that? Let's keep reading. Verse 6, it says this, Though he, Jesus, was God, he didn't think of equality with God as something to cling to, uh, as something to hold on to. Instead, he gave up, Jesus gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and he was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Twice in those three verses, it actually uses the word humble. But if you, if you look at the whole passage, it's all about the humility of Christ. He was God, but he didn't hold on to that privilege. He willingly set it aside. He became human, not just a human, but a poor and unremarkable human. He was sinless, but he became sin for us so that we could be set free. Everything about the life of Jesus on this earth screams humility. And so it makes sense that if we're going to operate well inside his kingdom, we're going to have to develop the same mindset as our king. And Jesus had a mindset of humility. Now let's go back to what Jesus said. He said, humble yourself like a child in order to be the greatest in the kingdom. As a matter of fact, he said, if you don't repent and be humble like a child, you can't even get into the kingdom. So listen, how many little kids do you know that like they worry about stuff? How many little kids do you know that, like, they're standing around, they're thinking, it's like 11.15, it's going to be lunch soon. I wonder if we had the money to buy food this week. Like, I wonder if we paid the power bill so that um, the microwave works when mom fixes my ramen noodles. Um, Like, I wonder if the fridge is going to work to save the leftovers of the ramen noodles so I can have them tomorrow. Like, I I wonder if we can, I wonder, you know, school's coming up next week. I wonder if if they're going to have the supplies that I need to go to school. I wonder if I'll have my lunch money. Or more importantly, I wonder if I'll have my ice cream money. Right? Do they stand around and worry about that stuff? No, they just, they completely trust that whatever they're going to need it's just going to be supplied. They, just, they live a life of total childlike faith, right? And they don't even think, well, I think my parents have to because I'm just such a cool kid. Or I think they're going to have to give me what I need because I, I make straight A's. Or they're going to have to take care of me because at some point in the future, I'm going to inherit the family business and I'm going to be very valuable to them. They don't, they don't think like that. It's just, you're my dad, 
and, and I need this, so I trust you've got it handled. That's the life they live. And have you ever seen a little person confess to doing something wrong? Like, did y'all ever confess anything y'all ever did wrong? Or y'all the little hellions that have to be convicted and tried in a court of law? You have to have video footage. Some of y'all needed to learn to confess. You wouldn't have so much trouble walking now if you had done that. But you ever seen a little person confess? Like, it's not a big show. It's not a production it's, it's about, it, it, my, a lot of times it's not even about trying to explain or justify their actions. They, they just bury their head in the shoulder of the Father and just say, I'm sorry. Listen, I was good at confession. Because I'm the baby of five. I had done seen what happens with the four oldest ones. And I'm like, nope, that's not going to be my life. I'm living my best life. I'm going to tell on myself. So I remember going and just like burying myself in my mama, confessing that I just shot a hole in the window in the living room with my BB gun. I didn't understand, it seems, that if you put the target on the porch, (laughs) that if you miss the window, (laughs) it's just right there. Um, I've never shot towards the house with my BB gun since then. I learned my lesson. But I went and I confessed. And I, I, it was just, it, it, was, it was very simple and it was very heartfelt. Um, but, but it was just really about restoring the relationship. Because I tell you what, I hated to have my relationship with my, with my parents not be good. I hated it. I, I would, even if I knew I was going to get in trouble, I would rather be in trouble with them on my side than try to, than try to get away with it without them. Isn't that about right? And it never occurred to me, it never occurs to children that their parents would ever turn them away when they come. So Jesus says, you want to get into the kingdom? You have to repent. You have to be humble like a kid. So, so what's, what's that about? Ephesians chapter 2, let's talk about coming to Jesus. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourself. It's the gift of God, uh, not of works, lest any man should boast. That's verse 9. So Hebrews chapter 11 says this in verse 6. He says, it's impossible to please God without faith. Anybody who comes to him must believe that God exists, that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently, sincerely seek him. We're saved by grace through faith, right? No other way to come to God. But what does that have to do with humility? I think it's this. You you can't come to Jesus on terms as equals. When you come to Jesus, it isn't a negotiation, you, you have, here's why, because you have nothing with which to bargain. Um, he is God. He is completely self-sufficient. You have nothing he needs because he's got no needs. Okay? So, on the other hand, he is the source of everything that we need. But we can't go in there demanding it. We have to receive it humbly. 
See, when you come to Jesus, you have to realize, I can't help myself. I'm, a, I'm like a little kid spiritually. I know I've messed up. I know Dad knows about it. So I'm just going to go tell him I'm sorry. I'm just going to crawl up in his lap and make sure the relationship is good. I, I know I've got other stuff going on in my life, other things that I need. I don't know where these things come from. I don't know how to make them happen for myself. I just know I need them, and my Father's going to provide them. Listen, that's faith, y'all. That's faith. The faith that Jesus is talking about. And it's found through humility. It's childlike in the sense that it's pure and it's honest and it's sincere and it's unpretentious. It's simple, but it's not simplistic. There's a real depth to that kind of faith. It's childlike, but it's not childish. This is real. And as a matter of fact, it's, it's only this kind of childlike faith that, that it's the only way that it's going to work. You humble yourself like a child before his father, completely trusting and depending on his love and his provision without the slightest notion that he'll ever turn you away because he never would. Because First John says that he's faithful and just that, that any time we come and ask his forgiveness, any time we come in repentance and humility, that he's going to forgive us never occurs to him not to because he wants to restore the relationship too. It's why Jesus died on the cross. You say, but I'm still not sure what humility and faith have to do with each other. Well, listen, I've said this before, but I want to really slow it down. I want to make sure that we can, that we can capture this. The opposite of faith is not fear. Okay, Fear can hinder faith. Fear can be an obstacle to our faith. But you can step out in faith while being scared to death. Right? It happens. Like pretty much everything I ever did, every leap of faith I ever took in my whole life, I did while being scared to death. It didn't make it less faith. I pushed through the fear to get to the faith. It happens all the time. But the opposite of faith is not fear. The opposite of faith is pride. The opposite of faith is pride. Think about it. We know that you can't come to God or please God without faith, right? But Jesus didn't say, if you want to be in my kingdom. He didn't say to the disciples, like, how, do I, how am I great in the, in the kingdom? He didn't say, well, you have to come to me without fear. He said, if you want to be in my kingdom, you have to come to me without pride. You come to me humble like a child. Why? Well, what's faith? Faith is a total dependence upon God for what you need. Isn't that right? Isn't that what faith is? It's a total dependence upon God for what you need. It's the substance of things that you can only hope for because you can't provide those things for yourself. It's the evidence of things that you can't put your hands on because they aren't yours and they aren't of this world anyway. Your salvation, forgiveness, love, mercy, power, uh, isn't that right? Those are the things of faith and the only way to get them is through faith. You say, well, what's the opposite of total dependence upon God for what you need? It's not fear. It's the total dependence upon yourself And your own ability to provide your needs. That's pride. I got this. I'm going to handle this myself. Now, now it would be one thing if we actually had the power or the ability to provide our needs for ourselves. But we don't. 
All we have left is our pride. We actually, we, we try to act like we have the ability to provide those things for ourselves. When the truth is, we are completely powerless. It's pride, and it's what keeps us from coming to Jesus and getting what we need. And it's so dumb because, it's our, because our pride is powerless to provide a single thing for ourselves. We need, we need salvation, right? We're dead in our trespasses and sins. We need to be saved. What are you going to do, save yourself? We need to be forgiven of our sins. You're going to forgive yourself? We need strength. We need life. We need breath. Are you going to give those things to yourself? Listen, control freaks and reforming control freaks like myself. You can't do this. Literally everything you need, including the breath to say it, comes from God. So how foolish do we have to be to think we're going to do anything for ourselves? But that's what pride does, doesn't it? Convinces us that we got this. So if faith is childlike, pride is childish. Faith is childlike. That's the, kind, that's the stuff Jesus is wanting to cultivate in our lives. It's our pride that's childish. I was about four or five years old. I got mad at my parents about something. I have no idea what it was. So you know what I did? I got my little Fisher-Price farmhouse, and I popped those barn doors open. Did y'all have one of those, or did y'all have bad childhoods? Fisher-Price farmhouse, popped them little bad boys over. I shoved all my underwear in my farmhouse. I closed the doors, and I went to the glass door, and I, and I, I stood there waiting on my airplane to land in my yard and to take me away from all this foolishness. I was done. Four or five years old, already full of pride. Don't look at me like y'all wanting the same thing. Y'all was, I knew some of y'all when y'all was at yard, just like I was. I, I was done. Listen, y'all, my plan to provide for myself, since my parents were clearly not up to the task, was underwear and Fisher-Price. That was the plan. No food, no water, Nothing. I, I'm not even sure all the underwear was clean. Like I just shoved all of it in there just in case. I, but don't mess with me. Bless God, I got this. Right? Four. As soon as my plane lands. I didn't even have a ticket for the plane that was going to land. But I was going to get on it somehow. Not to mention the 500,000 volt power lines that were in, over my landing strip. But that's a whole other problem. So, I, but I got this. Isn't that the way we treat God? About half the time. We, I mean, we know deep down that we're sinners. You can get through all the blustering and all the, you know, blah, 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 but eventually you get honest with yourself. You know you're a sinner. But we still think we're going to figure a way out of it, don't we? Like me and God, we got this. We're going we're gonna to like, like you, you've figured out a way to salvation that doesn't involve Jesus dying on the cross. Like, you've got that. Nobody else ever figured it out, but you're going to do that. Like, we know we can't take care of ourselves spiritually, but we're never going to admit that. We're going to act like we got this all together, like we're going to figure our way out, standing there with our righteousness like dirty underwear shoved into a toy farmhouse. And if it wasn't so serious, 
If this wasn't life and death hanging in the balance, if this weren't the destination of where we're going to spend eternity in heaven or in hell, God would look at us and giggle us standing there with our childish pride and our Fisher-Price farmhouse. And listen, we come to the negotiation table with Jesus, and that's what we look like to him. A petulant little child who's mad because we said no. Like we're going to negotiate with him over our salvation. Or like we're going to come to him in prayer and leverage him to do what we want him to do. It's ridiculous. It's not going to work. It's not going to work. There's only one hope, and that's Jesus. There's only one way into his kingdom. Humble faith in the Son of God. That's it. You can't be full of yourself and full of faith. You can't, you just can't. You can't come to Jesus proud. You can't please God without faith, and you can't have faith and pride simultaneously. You can't be dependent on God and dependent on yourself at the same time. Can you be scared? Yes, but you can't be dependent on God and dependent on yourself at the same time because pride is the opposite faith. You have to humble yourself like a child. You say, but, I, but the Bible says we have to come boldly before the throne of God. Hey, boldly, yes. Arrogantly, no. That's not the same thing. Because in, in that scripture in Hebrews is where that is. It, the, the, the word there, boldness, is about confident access. It's about knowing that we can go straight to the throne of God with our requests because of what Jesus already did for us. Because Jesus made the way for us. The veil's torn. We get to walk straight up to the throne with our petitions and lay them before the Lord. But that's about, that's about being confident in our access to the Father. It's not the same thing as arrogance. I would... I would very strongly warn you against approaching the throne of the Almighty God full of yourself and full of arrogance. Because it's foolish and it's disrespectful. So listen, we didn't have a, we didn't have a whole lot growing up, but till the day my mama died, there was always food in her house. Right? I don't sometimes I don't know how they got food in there for all of us, but there was always food in my mama's house. And I could have gone into her house at any time and said, Mom, I'm hungry. I'd like, some, I'd like some food. And she would have spent her last ounce of energy to fix me something to eat if I needed her to. But I had a key to the house. And if I'd have busted in the door, I said, Mama, I'm hungry. Get in here and fix me something to eat. Oh, Lord Jesus. I'm, she's not even here anymore and I'm scared. I, 78 years old, she would have whooped me all the way out of the house. And if you'd have been there, she'd have whooped you for coming. <laughs> I had confident access to my mama's house, so confident that she gave me the key. I could have come in anytime and gotten anything that I needed that she had. But if I came in demanding it, oh, the rules just got changed. The, the lock just got twisted, all right? I'm just telling you. Because, listen, it, it's disrespectful and it's foolish. If it isn't humble, 
it isn't faith. If it isn't humble, it isn't faith. You see, I've seen, you know, y'all know this is my life. I've been, I've been in church my whole life. It's all, it's all I know. And I have seen all kinds of ridiculous stuff in the house of the Lord. Um, I've seen people who, who claim that they have such incredible faith, mountain-moving, miracle-working, anything-I-want-to-ask-God-for kind of faith. And they make such arrogant and demanding claims against the throne of God. As if God now works for us just because we got saved. It's because for many of them, listen, I'm not placing myself in, in judgment against them. I'm simply inspecting their belief system. And for many of them, they've reduced faith to a formula and prayer to a process by which they get to tell God what they want him to do. And their bold claims of supposed faith is what turns the gears of the system that they're working. And I've seen it so much over the years. And I've seen almost always it has the same effect on people. Especially people who are, who are not believers. Almost always it has the same effect on people. They're turned off. They're turned off by the arrogance of it. Why? Because their faith isn't in Jesus, it's in their ability to work the system to get what they want out of him. That's why, that's why people are turned away. And we love to say, oh, we're being persecuted because of our faith and we're being rejected because of the anointing that's on us. No, honey, it's not the anointing, it's the arrogance. It stinks. And people can't stand it. They're not persecuting you because of your faith. They're persecuting you because you're a jerk. You're a jerk to Jesus. If it isn't humble, it's not real faith. It's the opposite of faith. It's pride. It's pride. You say, John, do, you, do people really get into pride about spiritual things? Oh, Lord, honey. Yes. As a matter of fact, I would venture to say that they get into people get into pride over spiritual things more than they do over any other kinds of things. That's where religion comes from. It's people who've gotten into pride over spiritual things. For example, you ever heard anybody brag about a 20 or 30 or 40 day fast that they did? Like every time you have a conversation with them, it just happens to get brought up. Like, well, I remember when I was fasting for 40 days, the Lord, like, you just told me about that fast last time we talked. Right? Right? Y'all ain't never talked to nobody? Okay, that's all right. I have. Amen, John. You're telling the truth today. Um, pride is so deadly and sneaky. You remember Paul had a um, uh, messenger of Satan, a thorn in the flesh. Messenger of Satan, Satan to buffet him. You remember that? Right? You know why he had a messenger of Satan? God sent the messenger of Satan. It says that. God sent it to him to keep him humble. Because the beginning of that chapter, that's chapter 12 of 2 Corinthians, Paul said, I, he said, listen, y'all, I have seen things. I have seen visions of things in the heavenlies that I'm not even certain what I've seen. And I'm fairly sure I can't put it into words. And if I could put it into words, I'm not sure anybody needs to know about it. 
Y'all, that's a level of revelation. And because, and, and, and where'd that come from? God showed it to him. He opened his eyes to, to spiritual things that nobody else had ever seen. And, and, and because of that, God looked at, at Paul and said, I just don't want to take a chance on you getting all caught up in yourself over this and pride over this, so I'm going to send you this messenger of Satan, this thorn in the flesh, to keep you humble. Listen, if you can get in pride about how good you are at fasting or about how much you know, how much God has revealed of himself to you, then you can get proud about anything. And if it's so dangerous that the Apostle Paul, who wrote a third of the New Testament himself, 13 books of the Bible, if he is, can be tempted to fall into pride, we need to pray. We need to pray. Humility has to define our faith. So one last scripture, Luke, Luke uh, chapter 10, verse 21. Jesus, or at the same time, Jesus was filled with the joy of the Holy Spirit. Y'all don't, y'all don't be thinking about Jesus smiling, do you? You don't think about Jesus laughing. He's filled with the Spirit, filled with the joy of the Spirit. And he said, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, thank you for hiding these things from those who think themselves wise and clever, for revealing them to the childlike. Yes, Father, it pleased you to do it this way. The Father still does it this way. Who gets the revelations of God? Who understands the deep things of the Lord? Who is it that gets to be intimate with the Lord? Is it the loud and arrogant people who are so supposedly full of faith? No. God hid the revelation of Jesus from those who thought themselves wise and clever. And he chose and still chooses to reveal himself to the humble. Who's the greatest in the kingdom of God? That was the question. Is it the smartest, most gifted, talented, anointed, wealthiest? None of that. Jesus said the number one characteristic that he's looking for in his kingdom is humility. Simple, childlike, humble faith. That's what pleases the king. And that's what gets us access to the kingdom. Y'all stand with me, please. So this is just the beginning of this conversation we're going to have about humility. Um, Because I think it's important. It's important to, if it was important to Jesus, it better be important to us. So we're going to spend some time talking about humility. So I'm trying to, so I'm, I've been praying and asking the Lord, how do you, you know, what do we do with this? What do we do about this? How do we respond to this message? And I think it's this. Based on our understanding, just the, the simple understanding that we've got already about the power of humility, the necessity of humility in our relationship with Jesus. I think the question is this, Lord, would you search my heart? Right? Would you try me and know my ways? Would you see if there's any wicked way in me? See if there's anything that's inside of me that's of pride. See if there's any motive of mine that isn't pure. 
Didn't Jesus say the word of God is a, is a two-edged sword? It's sharper than any, than, than any two-edged sword that it, it divides even bone from marrow. What, what that is, is it, it divides your actions and your attitudes. It, it divides what people see from the real reason why you did it in the first place. That's, that's the kind of separation that we need in our lives. If we're truly going to be men and women of honor, truly men and women of the kingdom, then we're going to have to allow him to separate our motives from our actions. And so today I just want to invite you to join me in praying that prayer and inviting the Holy Spirit to search you and to reveal to you if there's any root, any seed of pride in anything that you do or say or believe. It's important. Now listen, I know a lot of you have a lot of things going on. We have certainly lots of of people who are very, very sick uh, among just this body of believers at Covenant Life. Lots of things to pray about. You've got decisions to make. You've got stuff going on in your families, whatever. All of those are valid. And if you want to come to this altar and pray, don't think that people are sitting there judging and thinking, oh, they must be full of arrogance. Oh, they must be full of themselves. Listen, you can't come before the throne of God with that kind of pride. You have to humble yourself. So the very fact that you're coming to pray about it is a great indication that you're already beginning to humble your heart. So let's pray, and then this altar is open. We'll be dismissed together in just a few minutes. Father, Lord, I just want to be the first to pray this. Lord, search me and know my heart. Try me and know my ways. Know my selfish thoughts, as one translation says. And see if there's anything in me that's not pleasing to you. See if there's anything in me that's rooted in pride and not humility. And Lord, I pray that you'd lead me in in your everlasting paths, in the paths of righteousness. Lord, show me the areas of pride that might be inside of me. Check my motives. Check my attitude. And Lord, reveal it to me. Lord, give give me the wisdom to understand what you're saying to me and the courage to do something about it. And Lord, I pray this over every every willing believer in this house as you begin to humble us and we begin to humble ourselves. I pray, Lord, that we, that we get to a place where more and more we're in a position to be used by you, for you, for your honor and for your not so that we can climb the ranks of the kingdom, but just so that the kingdom can advance. Because it's your kingdom come and your will be done in earth as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name, amen. We pray that you have been blessed and inspired by today's Covenant Living broadcast. To find out more information about our ministry, just visit our website at www.covenantlifewestga.org. You can find this video there on our homepage. Just click the YouTube button and make sure you subscribe to our YouTube channel. Give us a call at 770-537-3747. That's 770-537-3747. At Covenant Life, our mission is to go and make disciples by being real, relational, and reaching. Be sure to join us next week for more Covenant Living with Pastor John Butler.